So the subject of tonight's talk is that of compassion. As I was uh, sitting contemplating this topic today, I just had such a strong sense of how words are inadequate, how, I don't know, this uh, compassion really takes us almost into the guts of our lives, of our practice, of why we do it, of the fruits of practice. It is so fully accompanying (laughs) so many elements of what we're doing here. I was just trying to get in touch with the quality of compassion. And I just, I found, it was almost like my heart was ripped open. The remembering of kind of the raw energy of being a human being. And that capacity to stay present with it, to stay open, to not be broken by it, and then held there by wisdom, the seeing, the clarity of mind that can know freedom. You know, it's something, these are wisdom and compassion, you know, often said to be, well, they're the wings of our hearts. They are the qualities that really help us to find freedom. And really, when I start to speak about compassion, I just see how it's not possible to speak about it without bringing in the element of wisdom. Because that rawness, that vulnerability that we experience as human beings without wisdom will submerge us, sink us. We will become broken by. But being balanced by the clear seeing, the understanding, the truth of the way things are, instead, the heart is uplifted. I realized, too, when I was contemplating this, it feels so humbling to speak about It's really hard. (laughs) It feels like there's no ground for the ego when you look into the face of suffering. You know, it's like you can't kind of puff up and say, oh, look at me, I'm looking it in the eye now. You know, you, you can't do that. And yet, it's phenomenal the shifts that happen when we do learn to stand with the cries of the world, the pain in our hearts. Compassion, like loving kindness, like mudita, appreciative joy, um, like equanimity, you know, these are all the Brahma-viharas, the divine abidings, the... um, 
our, our divine home, our true home. And like all of these other qualities, it can seem like something out of reach, something that if one day we practice hard enough, we will see. But compassion, like the others, is such a strong force that it is with us all the time. It is what moves us in our lives. It, you know, it brought us to this retreat. You know, that just in compassion is that, you know, classically called that quivering or trembling of the heart when it's in contact with suffering. And in our lives, we wouldn't be here if we thought everything was hunky-dory. You know, we would find, you know, we could be on a beach somewhere. We could have a really nice holiday. But, you know, we know. We know something of this ache of the heart, this longing to be free, to be free of pain, distress, grief. And so this is compassion. This pulls us. This motivates us. And then throughout the course of any day, compassion continues to move us. Any time we come in contact with something that feels distressing, either emotionally or physically, and there's a movement to alleviate it. In our lives, many times, we don't do this so skillfully. You know, that we uh, alleviate pain in ways that might perpetuate it. You know, feeling emotional distress. And we go and we ha- go to lunch, and it's a great lunch. And so we just feel like this will help us to feel better if we eat. And then when we go back for our second helping, by the time we finish it, our stomach hurts. You know, and it wasn't really skillful. But it still was. There's something painful here. I want to alleviate it. I want to um, be free from this pain. We are motivated by compassion when we're sitting in the hall and our back really starts to hurt. And so we just shift the posture again. You know, it's that desire to be free from suffering. When we blink our eyes, if we don't blink our eyes, then, um, you know, they get really dry, painful. You know, it's so this force is moving us, and we often don't recognize it. We don't see it. You know, and it may be that, uh, you know, sometimes even when we're really angry, and maybe we lash out at somebody, it can be motivated by that desire to be free from suffering although it may not be skillful. And then that's wisdom that speaks. You know, wisdom lets us know, of, even if it's just a subtle level of uneasiness, something doesn't feel quite right, or, you know, in our guts we do something and we don't feel right about it, the wisdom is still there. And so I think it's really important that as we speak about qualities such as compassion, to know 
that they are a part of our very nature. But we don't often recognize them. We misperceive them in the same way that we misperceive so many other experiences. And so, as I speak about compassion tonight, it's not to make it into some idealized state that one day, when we're good enough, when we're perfect enough, we will know. Because we can begin right here, right now, to become familiar with this state in the way that it moves us in our lives. This desire to be free from suffering and also our desire to be happy, they are like our homing instinct in life. They are what keeps moving us to find true happiness, to know true freedom. And so with the help of wisdom, seeing clearly, we begin to taste of these qualities in our experience, and they began to they begin to manifest in a way where they seem more recognizable, where they become the basis out of which we live our lives, are guided in the making of the decisions in our life. So what is compassion? It is this heart that when it sees pain, when it touches suffering in some way, whether it's in ourselves, whether it's in the world around us, has a responsiveness. You know, classical word is the quivering or trembling of the heart. But it's also a verb. It's not just that there's an empathetic connection, which there is, but there's also the desire to alleviate this pain. This quality of compassion is the sense of standing with suffering, being able to bear witness, be with, to not have our hearts contract and shut down when we touch suffering. It's a very uh, courageous heart, a courageousness to let ourselves become bigger than ourselves. This is often what happens with compassion. You know, and we see this in examples where you know, um, maybe somebody falls into a river, a child falls into a river, and somebody just automatically dives in and saves the child. You know, it's where we, for a moment, don't think in the sense of I, me, and mine, and we see something that's painful and just move to alleviate it. There's something that once happened to me that was just, it's just so clearly and in such a delightful way 
showed me about this quality of where compassion helps us to become bigger than ourselves. And this was back in the days when IMS had quite a dog culture. Along with the yogi culture, there was a number of dogs that hung out in the neighborhood. And these dogs were frequent companions when we would walk the loop. You know, they would often trail along behind us. Um, one of these dogs was named Kelsey, and another dog was named Traker. Kelsey was uh, thought by many of us to be a bodhisattva. Uh, Kelsey, you know, if there was a yogi outside crying somewhere, you would often see Kelsey at their side. He uh, just had a way of turning up when things were going hard for somebody. And um, Traker was a character. I don't, I don't know, Traker just had, you know, I, I don't know what kind of personality, unusual. But these two dogs were buddies. And, you know, as I would walk the loop with my friends, often Traker and Kelsey would accompany us. But it turned out that Kelsey had, had a hard time on the back of the loop. There's two dogs, and I don't see them much anymore. Um, I'm not sure if they're still actually with us. But these two dogs were big and were pretty fierce looking, had a really bad bark. And they apparently had attacked Kelsey at times and shredded him up a bit. So Kelsey had developed a healthy fear. So in walking the back of the loop this one day, Kelsey would do fine. So you get close to where these dogs were and Kelsey would start to go a little bit weird. You'd see the nervousness and start whining, and you'd go, what's the matter? And then you'd realize where you were, and you'd just say, it's okay, Kelsey, it's okay, we'll be fine. And then, you know, it would be okay. Um, so this day, walking along, Kelsey starts to get really nervous, comforting Kelsey, it's okay, I know. And these dogs really did respond to telling them no back off, you know, the human voice, they really responded to it. So, you know, as we got closer, telling the dogs, no, no, and, um, you know, Kelsey right by my side, and then we walked on past, and at that point, Kelsey was beside me, but Traker had dropped back. Traker had a different relationship with these dogs, and so Traker was more friendly with them. But then suddenly, they turned on Traker. And you could just hear this yelp from Traker. And in a split second, Kelsey went back to help his friend. Now, I, was I was like, whoa. Because I, you know, this dog was trembling in fear. But in that moment where his friend needed help, he was there. The good news was we were all fine after that. <laughs> so, this quality of compassion, something that we touch on in our practice, where when there's a moment of rage, and in that moment, we soften. We don't put in further um, savageness. You know, we, we're just able to be with, to touch, to be quiet with. 
in a sense, to feel the pain of and to know this is suffering. We see compassion emerging when we find ourselves caught in the same old story for the hundred millionth time. And rather than, oh, you stupid idiot, can't you get over this? It's like, oh, and we, we feel it, but we, uh, there's no hardness. There is, again, this, like, just knowing how painful it is to be caught in these repetitive loops. We start to see compassion in moments where somebody in the hall might be quietly crying. You know, we can just hear their sobs and we just hold them in our hearts. Or when we're walking down a hallway and somebody abruptly pushes past us, but we can see they're distressed. And in that moment, we don't move to blame and judgment, but you know, it's like the heart just goes, ouch, they're in pain this really being able to stand with the suffering. I remember one time, it was actually a three-month retreat, and sitting here, and it just seemed like, you know, experience was screaming at me in some way. And it would be the knee pain, the, the shoulder pain, the torment in the mind. And it would just, but it was just, it was rapidly changing. And I had this sense of being the mother of 10,000 things. And it, all it needed was to give attention to. And, you know, so soon as it was like turning to the knee pain or the heartache, whatever it was, it was fine. And, you know, this is what we can do with suffering. We can give it attention. We can bear witness. I think this has already been shared, but it just it uh, really conveys the essence of compassion. And this is from the Ryokan, Ryokan, a Japanese hermit monk from the 18th century. He says, Oh, that my priest's robes were wide enough to gather up all the suffering people in this floating world. You know, just that sense of, oh, gathering it up unburdening, unburdening those caught in pain. Actually, (laughs) brings to mind a memory of being on retreat, here again, three months, and I was in a distressed state and aversion, anger, coming up big time. (laughs) I went in to see my teacher, he was Joseph Goldstein. And I was letting it go. <laughs> and he just sat there. And then at one point he said, you can put it all here. It was amazing for me in that moment. You know, some, some 
you know, just to have it be seen and not taken up. But it was like having it be held, witnessed. And compassion has that capacity to keep us in connection, in relationship, in a wise way, a skillful way. When we're with somebody and they're in pain. When it's true compassion, there's no sense of, oh, poor them. You know, there's no sense of pity. We're really, it's as if we're in it together. And there's a sense of, this is suffering. What can we do about it? To Remember that we all suffer when we're caught in delusion, when we don't see clearly, when we're confused, when we're so misperceiving of the world around us. To know that this creates fear, anxiety, distress in all of us. That this is something that we share it becomes a bond in which we can also wake up together when we don't turn our backs, when we don't walk away, when we have that willingness to be with and clarify. It's a way that we learn to not abandon our hearts, not to get locked in the, the, the sense of the small, separate self. Compassion itself has this unusual texture where there is sadness because we are seeing the pain, we are feeling the pain, we see the suffering, but there's the sweetness of connection. the tenderness, that openness of heart. You might remember a time in your own life when somebody cared for you. Maybe you were distressed in some way and somebody listened. They didn't try to fix you. They just listened. Just what that felt like. And this is the same listening that we can do in our life to all of the various ways that we hear the cries of suffering. 
and to let it touch our hearts, that trembling, quivering. And we're not alone in it. We don't need to continue to live in a distressed state because of the suffering. This is from Albert Einstein uh, and something that he wrote or, or spoke, I'm not sure, uh, What I Believe, um, from 1930. A human being is a part of the whole, called by us the universe, a part limited in time and space. One experiences themselves, their thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical illusion of one's consciousness. The delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening the circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Through compassion, we widen the circles. We open our hearts. We stand with all beings in its vastness. I actually love the piece in there where he's talking about... um, how we experience our thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical illusion of one's consciousness. And when that optical illusion shifts, where we aren't blinded, we begin to see the gems of loving-kindness, compassion, wisdom that are there. When we remove this illusion that we are so bound in, But opening to the immensity of suffering, you know, the vastness, can at times feel quite overwhelming. The Buddha once made a statement that something to the effect of if you put all of the waters from the oceans together, it would still be nothing in comparison to all the tears that have been cried through suffering. And that was over 2,500 years ago. And you add all of the additional tears, (laughs) we're flooded. (laughs) And so it really is a process. 
you know, that it takes time. We have to be compassionate in the process of opening to suffering. That we can't expect that suddenly our hearts can just open. Suddenly we can be with it in its immenseness. So, to begin to do this step by step in the little ways, small ways, that we encounter suffering. Learning to be with, you know, just some of the uncomfortable feelings that arise in the mind. To be able to be gentle with ourselves when they're present. To be able to touch the contracted heart, the tightness, the feelings of separation. I remember one time, again, here on retreat, when just for whatever reason felt like something had in some way the scene of compassion or the scene of suffering on a whole new level and just feeling like, ah, it's too much, I can't hold it, I can't hold it. And then going in to see Joseph again and describing to him what was happening and his response being very simple, very clear, saying, only the emptiness can hold it all. And this is where our practice, the the bearing witness of the suffering, needs the support of wisdom. These two qualities so entwined. And that we find that compassion is actually the manifestation of wisdom, of uh, what happens with clear seeing, that the the heart is naturally responsive but that we, we really need this quality of wisdom to help support us as we begin to see into greater depths of suffering. Many times when we begin to open to suffering, you know, in ways that we may not have been able to in the past, there can be fear. If someone around us is, is going through stuff in their life and they start to share it with us, sometimes, again, this will bring up fear that you know, we don't feel like we don't know what to do. We don't know how to be. And you know, it, it starts to become this feeling as if we have to take responsibility for it. And we can't, in a sense. We can bear witness, but we can't take it on. And so, you know, that oftentimes that we have to be tender with these places of fear that come up in relationship to looking at suffering. But it's also kind of interesting to note someone's in pain and then we feel responsible and suddenly it's about us. 
I mean, it's our game that we often play. Uh, we become the center of the universe for whatever is happening. But, you know, we don't need to do this. Just to be with. And sometimes, you know, in bearing witness with others' pain, to remember that many times when we encounter pain, it's breaking something. Our hearts can be opening. Know that we're encountering a hard and tight edge of solidification. And that as that begins to crack, the first instance feels like, whoa. But then that which has been bound becomes unbound. This is from Kahil Gabran, from the prophet. And a woman spoke, saying, tell us of pain. And he replied, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses understanding. Even as the stone of the fruit must break, that its heart may stand in the sun, so must you know pain. And could you keep your heart in and could you keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of life, your pain would not seem more wondrous than your joy, and you would accept the seasons of your heart, even as you have always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields, and you would watch with serenity through the winters of your grief. An aspect of opening to suffering in others is the quality of empathy. You know, being able to uh, stand in someone else's shoes. And actually, scientific research is showing that we are hardwired for this. That they are proving through research that when we do something like even following someone's actions or paying attention to the mind states that someone is going through, in our brains, the, the same parts of the brain get lit up as if we were doing it. So we have within us this wiring to make an empathetic connection, to be able to stand with someone in suffering. And this becomes important, uh, especially around people whom are difficult in our lives. People whom we may have real trouble understanding why they would do things that create so much pain and suffering, harm to others. And that often our doorway to being able to open our hearts to them is through compassion. Because we get a sense of the state of torment that they are living in. How burdened their own hearts are. And then it's like, wow, that sense of seeing someone in suffering and our hearts open. 
I remember being in Burma or Myanmar, and I was leaving the country. And this is a country that has been very dear to my heart. You know, I went uh, first time, I think, in 1990 or 91. And it was very soon after uh, the country had reopened, after it had been closed for a while because, you know, the military had taken over. And there was a lot of atrocities happening. And then at a certain point, they opened their doors again. And I went there, and the people of Burma just touched my heart for what, you know, whatever reason. To see these people who were going through such hardship and yet have such faith in the Dharma and have such a generous heart you know, that I was going into this very poor country and people were sharing whatever they could with me. You know, it was truly moving. And they were just so happy that people were coming to their country to um, hear the teachings, to do the practice. And so this is a country whom... It's also evident the suffering that they've been through the fear that can be in the people. And uh, it's a Buddhist, you know, it's predominantly Buddhist country. So knowing that people grow up with these same teachings that we hear, that people meditate, they go to monasteries, and you know, many will go on retreats. You see young school children having a week of holiday, and they go and they ordain as a monk or a nun for a week. Um, it's, it's quite inspiring. And so here I was sitting at the airport, and the military presence was very strong in the airport. And then I was reflecting on the things that the military is known to have done in this country. And I was reflecting on how these people grew up in a culture where, as a child, they probably heard teachings about karma. They heard teachings on loving-kindness, compassion. Maybe they even meditated. Um, And then, for whatever reasons in their life, they felt like to take care of themselves, they had to harm others. And, you know, knowing, too, that we are all owners of our own karma, that whatever actions that they take that are harmful or hurtful, they will reap the rewards of. And I was just sitting there feeling how on some level they must be so cut off from what they had initially grown up with and their hearts hardened and how that in itself is painful, let alone the consequences of what they, the the fruits that they will bear in their own life. I just burst into tears. Now, just to know what they might face in their lives. So with difficult people, sometimes compassion can be a doorway into the opening of our hearts. The being able to really make 
not make to but to to open our hearts to the vastness of life when we talk about compassion it's really important to remember that there is compassion for others but there also needs to be self-compassion that it is essential and really without it we cannot do this work we cannot face the pain that um, it's you know being able to be kind when it's difficult be kind when it hurts to to you know sometimes i just use the phrase mass of suffering and it just helps me to touch it to know it to know that this is the struggle that we can face being a human being often an image that helps me get in touch with it when i may be being hard on myself and it's just like the feeling of that cry in the heart and then just having a sense of holding myself as if i was a small child you know when we see a small child in pain we don't lash out we don't hit them you know it's a oh that wanting to hold to be with to support to bear witness to watch for what's called the near enemy of compassion that which is pity or where there's still a sense of separation you know that where we might see suffering and feel sorry for someone you know as if they're weak or inferior it doesn't have that buoyancy of this is suffering what can we do about it but more like oh poor you and it, it is you know based in fear the pushing away the not being able to fully meet sometimes that voice can almost have a self-righteousness well you act that way you get what you you asked for you know that there this or might be some kind of contempt and so just to notice where we might slip into something that can appear like compassion but isn't truly compassion and to know that there is a place in the world for what's called fierce compassion where there is a way that we yield the sword of wisdom as we come in contact with suffering you know and that might have the sense of where we need to draw boundaries in our life where we need to speak strongly and say no this is enough but it's not from that aversive place 
It's from a place of knowing this is suffering and the way to alleviate it is to not to further perpetuate, not to repeat actions that create suffering. There's many great leaders, beings in the world, who really can at times embody this sense of fierce compassion. And for me, one of these people uh, is Mahagosananda. He was a Cambodian Theravadan monk who actually, for part of his life, lived quite near to here. And I, I never knew him well, but for me, the scene of him, he just radiated, and he brought such delight to my mind and inspiration just to see his beaming face. And he, he was a monk. He was from Cambodia, but he was living in Thailand at, time, at the time where uh, Cambodia uh, hit really hard times, where uh, you know the regime there just was creating or you know c- killing people, taking down monasteries, um, just a lot of destruction. And so at this time, Mahagosananda was in Thailand. And, you know, his teacher had told him to stay there and there would be time when it was right to go back. And so, I think it was after about eight years, he went and he built a monastery uh, on the edge in a refugee camp. And the Khmer Rouge had said that they would kill people who went to a monastery. But he built this monastery and on the day that it opened, there was 20,000 people that came. And these he himself had lost his family. Other people had lost their families. You know, many people had suffered. And he, on that day, started, got people chanting, hatred never ceases through hatred, but through love alone. And as people chanted, they wept. And he, with all his courageousness, was able to help people to bear witness to this suffering, but not to close their hearts to it, not to shut down. And as you can understand, could imagine from the story, that many times in that process, forgiveness will play a huge part. That needing to let go or relinquish past um, contraction, pain, atrocities, but to bear witness by way of not wanting to perpetuate, but to bring forth the goodness, to realign with the goodness in our lives, and to let that be what shines, to let that be what we are remembered for, as I now remember Mahagosananda, just his courageousness of heart, He said, we have great compassion for them because they do not know the truth. They destroy Buddhism. They destroy themselves. We have great compassion for them because they do not know the truth. Our hearts can open, can hold. (laughs) 
Actually, this is what um, a man named Alan Channer said about Mahagosananda. He said, in Cambodia they say that Mahagosananda is a true monk. He will give his daily meal to someone who needs it more. He walks around with a latent smile in his eyes, which bursts at times into infectious chuckles and downright hilarity. He seems to have his interior life so sorted out that he can give the whole of his mind to compassion for the person in front of him. No, and we see this in people who really embody uh, this quality of compassion, that there's a lightness, a buoyancy. And, you know, it often seems contradictory. And yet it's because they know that there can be an end to the suffering. And that we can all come to know this. In our lives, compassionate actions may be quite simple, but it's helpful to pay attention to them. As I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, just to see all of the little ways that we move to alleviate suffering. The movements, you know, knee pain, back pain, the, um, you know, having an empty, hungry stomach and eating food seeing how the, in the times in our lives when there is a state of distress and we have the capacity to be with it. When we meet someone else who is in pain and we learn to bear witness, we learn to be there at that time with this fearlessness, this heart that can be present. Compassion really helps us to have that willingness to be with that which seems unbearable, out of the question, that we couldn't possibly be with. But when we see that there's a torment in the mind, this desire to alleviate that moves into knowing and understanding and seeing clearly, And this is where getting in touch with the suffering pulls us back into the wisdom to see, to understand. We can find that compassion just begins to ripple out into our lives if we've been around people who have a strong sense of compassion, we know that it provides a sense of safety where we can feel, we can relax our own hearts. We can be at ease. We don't have to have up these barriers of protection. It's a great offering to the world and something that is that natural part of the heart. We just need to learn to listen, to hear, to let it express. 
to allow. I'd like to end tonight with a teaching from Mingur Rinpoche. And this is about all of these qualities of loving kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, wisdom. He says, but the best part of all is that, not, is that no matter how long you meditate or what technique you use, every technique of Buddhist meditation ultimately generates compassion whether we're aware of it or not. Whenever you look at your mind, you can't help but recognize your similarity to those around you. When you see your own desire to be happy, you can't avoid seeing the same desire in others. And when you look clearly at your own fear, anger, or aversion, you can't help but see that everyone around you feels the same fear, anger, and aversion. When you look at your own mind, all the imaginary differences between yourselves and others automatically dissolve, and the ancient prayer of the four immeasurables becomes as natural and persistent as your own heartbeat. So letting this quality of compassion be as natural and persistent as our own heartbeat. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.